Hello, and welcome back to Talking Town. It's your Dana Osband here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daft today, Kuf Yud Gimel, 113. So one of the dafts where we just had everything about it is something that we could talk about. Um, I will just start with a tiny little piece that's before uh, the two Mishnahs that appear on the staff, uh, which is this exchange between uh, Rav Yosef and Abaye. And I just wanted to point it out because it's something that we saw a couple of dafts ago. I couldn't remember which one it was on, uh, where Rav Yosef is paying attention to uh, that it says the halacha is like Rabbi Elazar ben Yaakov. And, you know, Abai says, Abai really doesn't like his formulation about this because what he's saying is that there really isn't a machlokas here. So why do you have to say this? And again, you know, they have this back and forth where Abai says to him, uh, you know, uh, says to him at the end, this gamra gamur zemurta tehe, right? That basically sort of saying it's it's an expression, you know, it's a... I don't know. Is it a simile, a parable? What would you call it? And <laughs> you're always the language. Yeah, it's an example. Go ahead. Right, right. You know that you learn the learn the. Le- it's like learn the lesson. Let it be a song. In other words, you know, saying is it just you know? Do you just say like sort of what the halachic, you know, what the halacha is, what the bottom line is? Um, but sometimes it's okay to sort of look at what's underlining it even if it doesn't actually have like a practical difference. So I just wanted to point out, and I think we'll keep track and see, uh, you know, if we see this phrase pop up again. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so I want to jump down to the mission. It's a second mission actually on our Amud, Amud Aleph. And it actually introduces to us a new topic. You can fold your kalim, your garments, really. You can fold them even four or five times, you can set up your bed, meaning make your bed, really, from Friday night to Shabbat, but you can't do it from Shabbos day till Saturday night. The idea is that then you are preparing for for Motzei Shabbat, and it's just not really giving honor to the Sabbath day if you are spending your time on Shabbat, you know, prepping for after Shabbat. So again, you can fold your utensils, your clothing, whatever. And you set your beds. You can do it from Yom Kippur to Shabbat. The fats of Shabbat were, of the animals that were offered on Shabbat would burn on Yom Kippur. But not the fats from Yom Kippur into Shabbat. Because again, this is about, again, from preparing, I may have said this backwards, but in any case, from Yom Kippur to Shabbat is, is okay, and from Shabbat to Yom Kippur is not okay. Did I say that backwards? Let's hope not. Okay, I want to point out here, in your experience, in my experience, we have never had Yom Kippur going into Shabbat or Shabbat going into Yom Kippur because they rigged the calendar to make sure that that would never happen. When I was a kid, my dad used to always say, you never have two days that you cannot cook next to each other. Now, if that's, you know, that's part of this rigging of the calendar in terms of Isra oh, Malacha. I learned it was different. It's funny. It's more that you don't have two days in the calendar where you can't bury somebody. Oh, my. <laughs> well, I was a kid. So maybe my father was sparing me. Okay, like, but go on. <laughs> very yeah, little. I think the point here, this is a very interesting Mishnah because this is what would happen without having the set calendar. Like, I think that's really yes, what's exactly. important to remember because it was really just done. You saw the new moon. People went up to the Beit HaMikdash, and the way that this was actually done is, is that the uh, uh, Elul 
could either be 28 or 29 days. I don't think it could ever be a full 30, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but, right. but the point is, it could fall out and be on a Friday, which is very interesting. And also, remember, you didn't know when Rosh Hashanah was going to start until it was Rosh Hashanah. Like, you would just get the signal with the, you know, with the smoke and with the fire. And, you know, you would find out that, oh, now it's now it's Rosh Hashanah. That's actually soon. Soon we're going to talk about all of this material in Masachat Rosh Hashanah. But the fact, but so what happened is that when they set the calendar, it to be a fixed thing, they also rigged it to make sure that certain days would not actually fall out on certain days. So, for example, we know that Lel Haseder is never Thursday night, and it lines up with when is Yom Kippur and is it going to ever next be next to Shabbat. So this Mishnah is fascinating for this alone. Right for the time frame alone, that it's a kind of an artifact of an era that we ourselves never experienced. Okay, I'm just going to finish off the Mishnah here. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Lo Shabbat Shabbat. So Rabbi Akiva takes a different approach. He says that you don't take the fats from the carbonate that are offered on Shabbat and burn them on Yom Kippur, and you don't and you don't take the fats from the carbonate that are offered on, did I say this backwards? Yom Kippur and burn them on Shabbat. Meaning either way, each day has its own identity and you don't, you know, diminish the honor of either one day by using it as, you know, fundamentally using it even after the fact as preparation for the next day. Which is interesting, you know, especially when we're talking about such holy days, we're talking about Shabbat, we're talking about Yom Kippur, which in the Torah is called Shabbat Shabbaton. And you might think that it's not any dismissal of one for the next which is really the Tanakhama's position. No, the Tanakhama says one way it's okay, the other way is not okay. Rabbi Akiva says neither way is it okay. You have to treat each day separately. What is particularly interesting to me here is and what happens then is that the Gemara takes all of this material and basically has a side conversation about this issue that we're talking about from Shabbat into the next day. Doesn't so, There's some discussion about the folding, but that's not really the crux of the Gemara on this same Mishnah. So I want to now go into the Gemara here. It, the Gemara first cites the Tosefta. Tana shalbet Rabban Gamliel. Tana shalbet Rabban Gamliel. Lo hayu mekaplin clay lavan shlehen. So in Rabban Gamliel's household, they didn't fold the white clothes. Mibnei shayal hen lachlif. They had extras. So then you don't have to mess with folding. Now, why folding is an issue in Shabbat is a very interesting and complicated issue. And I've seen it be an issue considered to be a problem of bona, of building, right? I have seen it to be, it's not exactly clear. There's a lot of discussion, not here, um, about why this might be a problem. I guess it's primarily in the Rishonim, or maybe we'll see it later in the Gemara. So Rishonim says, all right, if you have extra, right, you can change, change into other clothing, then you don't have to worry about folding your previous clothing. If he doesn't have clothes to change into, then what does he do? He lets the garments hang down like in preparation before Shabbat, and it's going to be like in honor of Shabbat. So Rav Safra says, one second, doesn't that look like you're being obnoxious? Like, ooh, I'm wearing the fancy clothes? So Rav Safra, the Gemara says, like, every day he's not doing this, right? He's not hold, hanging out his clothes to show how beautiful they are, which presumably he's doing Lichvod Shabbat. But doesn't that look like, 
ooh, I'm so great. I have these wonderful clothes to hang out. And so Rav Safra's position is like, it. you do it so that it's, or the answer to Rav Safra rather is, he doesn't do this every day. Since he's not doing it every day, then you understand that it's not about him and it's not about being arrogant or obnoxious or whatever. It's about, you know, honoring the Sabbath by by saying, this is my finery. This is what we're going to, this is what I'm going to wear today in honor of Shabbat and not, this is, this is my exciting finery and I'm honoring myself. That is not the position. So then the Gemara takes, so again, this is the idea of how do we honor Shabbat, right? Which is not a malacha on Shabbat. It's, it's like the, it's the positive aspects of how we handle Shabbat to treat the day as a special, unique day. So then the Gemara goes on, right? And it cites a verse, and this is a, this is really where we get this whole, you know, keeping Shabbos special type of thing, where people say it's a Yiddish expression, right? Nish Shabbos correct, all of this of what you don't do on Shabbos, it's not Shabbistic, right? So this is a citation from from Yeshayahu. Perak nun chet, pasuk yud gimel. And it's also the haftorah of, I don't remember when, but it's a haftorah. And it basically says, like, um, we need to treat the day of, Shab- of Shabbat differently from regular, from whole days. V'kibadato masot drachacha, we honor God's uh, ways. V'kibadato it's, it's Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt for a second. It's the haftorah for Yom Kippur. Oh, there we go. That nicely, yes. perfectly exactly. lines up. Yes. Thank you. That's. <laughs> apologize for my embarrassment. You know, for for. No, but I, think that's I wish I had in my head all the time. But I think this is important because it brings on the layer of like it's not just that they're quoting the pasuk. This also has to do with the Mishnah, that this discussion is brought out, and we'll see it more in the next stop, uh, talking about Yom Kippur and Shabbos and their relationship. So it's also significant. They're quoting a pasuk. That is from that half tower as well, right? Oh, wow. And and you know, I can uh, apologize to everybody for not doing what we always encourage all of you to do. That whenever you come to a pasuk in your learning the gemara when you prepare the daf, you know, go look it up. So I apologize it's, for not doing it myself. And thank you, or it's, called, or it's called googling while Ann talks. <laughs> I <thought laughs> To be fair, I thought it was Yom Kippur, but then I like quickly looked it up. Okay, we digress. Okay. We digress. So, but what's important here? Let's let's continue here. The the passage. You need to make, according to this statement, right? Your clothing of Shabbat needs to be what we colloquially call Shabbos clothes, as opposed to your regular daily clothing. And the idea here here is you're you're truly um fulfilling the edict of this verse in Yishayahu by making something special, right? By honoring the day, one way to do so is in the manner of dress. Right? So, Rabbi Yochan would call his his clothing, right? My honor, right? That's how the, the... the, what do you mean that how you dress is going to honor the day? Except for that, that really is what people said. That is really how we do it. Or at least one of the ways. So from this, again, from the verse, meaning way, but also manner of walking, let's say the way that you go. So your way of going of Shabbat should not be the way of going of Chol. So one discussion, you know, is, you know, should you take the same 
hurried, rushed, large steps on Shabbat that you do on Chol? And the answer is like, no, you should walk, you know, take a nice walk, go for a stroll, amble along. Of course, if you're running to get to shul on time, all bets are off. And then the idea is that you're, again, you're trying to get to shul on time. It's no longer considered, you know, the way you would rush around on a, on a weekday. This is the continuation of the verse. So if you're dealing, and this is where we get things like, don't talk about money on Shabbat. Right, it's considered uvda dechol mimso cheftzecha. We're we're talking about, you know, just business things like your your objects, your affairs, whatever. Those things are asur. If you're talking about the business of shamayim, then you could talk about whatever you want, right? If you want to talk in learning, or you want to talk about, I assume, you know, God's nature, God's world, maseb reshit. All of these things would be permitted to talk about. But the ber davar, I mean, maybe the ver. Sorry, the bear davar is dibur shochol. So one second, the issue of mimso chaftzecha is about not actually attending to any business dealings. And then the second one, shelo ye diburcha shel Shabbat kit diburcha shochol. And then we say your speech, your speech on Shabbat should be different from your speech on chol. Dibur asur hirhor mutar. You know the Gemara recognizes here that we're talking about modify your speech. You the way you the way you speak on Shabbat, the things you talk about on Shabbat should be different from your weekly things. Hear who are what you think about. Yeah, think about whatever you're going to think about, which is a a nice acknowledgement that policing people's thoughts is not usually ever very effective. Um, okay, Bishlama Kulhu. So the Gemara says all of these things are fine. Okay, we get that. That's how you're going to be honoring the Shabbat. The Chayai. What is that thing about making your steps, your your walking, the way that you go, different on Shabbat from Chol? So this is a story, right, that happened. Like, you know, this is a, an event that took place um, that seems to be that Rav Huna said, if you're walking in Shabbat and you came across a stream of water and you presumably need to cross it to get to where you're going, right, and now the stream is narrow and you can put, you know, one foot down on the, like you put one foot down before you pick up the other one, right, then you can cross the water. But if you need to jump to get across, you can't do that on Shabbat because that kind of like, I don't know what, scrambling, let's call it scrambling, is not acceptable on Shabbat. It has a, uh, it diminishes the honor of Shabbat. If you're kind of like scrambling across a stream as opposed to just walking, you know, one foot over the other, you know, the idea is that you can take the step over the stream. It's a very narrow part. You can cross that. It's not a problem. But if what you're doing is really like fording a stream, which is why I'm calling it scrambling, then then that's considered like not nice. It's not. It's not a. It's not a Shabbat way of walking, of getting yourself from one place to the next. So what I like about this piece of Gemara is, you know, we've spent now 114, 113 days, uh, you know, just talking about all the halachot of Shabbat, and it's actually kind of shocking. This is the first passage we have that really I think talks more about the spirit of Shabbat. You know, doing certain things not because it's not do, like 
modifying your behavior, your dress, your thoughts, your walk, because it's Shabbat, not related to the Lamitet Melachot, to the prohibitive labors, but because it's Shabbat. And, but it's also astounding to me that we're on page 113, Kuf Yud Gimel, until we actually got to this discussion. So we had I, to talk I just, about carrying. We had so much carrying to talk about. Right. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, I think there's, Completely. Two, right. Like there's two pieces. There's the halach of Shabbat. And then there's how do we do Shabbos? Right. And this is the how do we celebrate and observe Shabbos? You know, um, what I like Shabbos to say, this is, how we, this is how we turn Saturday into Shabbat. Right. Right. All of these things from Kiddush, from the davening, from how we dress, how we walk, how we talk, not doing the things that we don't do also functionally, functionally turns the day into Shabbat. But it's not the same thing as making it like an, an active doing of something. These are the, the positive things that we do. They're not quite commandments, right? This is from the Navi and they're called right. Divrei Kabbalah, right? They're, they're very strong practices that are still not quite at the level of the Isurim of the Lama Tamalachot. Right, exactly. Um, and uh, like I could tell you personally for clothing, and then we'll go on because I have about 100 other things to say about this stuff today. You know, I think as you become like professional and you sort of have your work clothes, your Shabbos clothes, and Shabbos is sort of, I think, has become like a little m- less formal. You know, those days of the Shabbos suits and stuff like that are over. I actually find I have to like make sometimes a real effort to distinguish between like, what are my Shabbos clothes? What are my nicer work clothes? You know, like, they're, I'm not saying they're totally interchangeable, but I do think these types of things actually still come up today. Um, and it's not just I think, an And I think, well, I'll say that, you know, in this era of just being home, it's really hard. You know, yeah. a, a friend of mine said to me, you know, they, she makes sure that everybody, they're, they're a family that might sometimes do a pajama Shabbos type of thing, I think. But she said they, they do not now, meaning they, it's part of making sure that Shabbat is Shabbat, because how else can you demonstrate it? Right. Yeah. Otherwise, we have the same. We have the same thing in our house as well. So uh, right? I totally hear what she's saying. I may have been more lax before COVID. Somebody wants to come to the table in their pajamas Friday night. I got it. Now I'm a much more like you need to be dressed for Shabbos. Um, okay. But let's go. You feel the difference. You do. All right. Let's go on. I have three quick things which I would love to read inside, but we are already now I think overdue on time. Um, the first is is that just this reference on the DAP to not being allowed to eat the soil of Bavel and the idea that like the bodies from the flood, right? From the major flood, we're talking about Noah, are buried there. And I just think that's also like an interesting perspective about geography and what the rabbis understood, like the center of the world in a way was this geographic area. And therefore that all humans were sort of, or everybody who died in the flood, that's where all their bodies ended up. Um, so that's the first one. Uh, the link the link there, just so people should know, the link there is the word Shinar. Shinar yeah. came to be the land of Bavel, and the word Shinar is used in the context of the story of Nimrod, really, um, after, and, and Bavel. I mean, and Migdal Bavel, rather, and, and the right. flood. Right, exactly. Um, the second one is, there's a whole interesting discussion where they get into a lot of Agadita and, you know, homiletic explanation of Migilat roots. Um, and it starts off because they first talk about this pasuk in Ruth Paragimel Pasavav, uh, where it says that, you know, Naomi told her that she should take a bath and anoint herself and put in her clothes. And the idea is that she wore her Shabbat clothes. She wore her nicer clothes. But there's something else that's going on here. And, you know, something Anna and I discussed is, you know, if you read Mickey Latrud, and this year, because we were not in shul, I really read it with my kids. Like I said, we had to read it. And it 
has an element to it, which I think can be perceived as risque. You know, this whole story about how she sort of dresses herself, prepares herself for uh, Boaz. I'm talking about Ruth. And, you know, they meet on the threshing, uh, the, the floor of the threshing, you know, the, the threshing room. Um, it, it has this risque overtone to it. And I think what Ghazal is doing here is, in a way, it's not that they're trying to downplay what's risque, but I think what they're trying to upplay, if that's a word, is sort of the righteousness of these people. Like what they don't want is for people to read Megillat Root and walk away and say like, oh, this is like a scandalous, you know, very risque piece of the Torah. And instead, what I think they're trying to do by all of these different interpretations they're making, right? Like, how could it be Boaz, you know, cleave to the Na'arot, right? How could it be that she went down, you know, and bathed herself this way and anointed herself this way, you know, so she obviously didn't do it on the road. She had Ruth did it later on. I think, again, it's not that they're trying to sort of turn their blind eye, Chazal, to what's actually in the Megillah, but I think it's also a way of them telling the reader, like, that's not the direction that you should be going in when you read this Megillah. This is not what these verses are saying. These were righteous people. These are the people who are the founders of our machut, of our kingship, and treat them in that sort of way. And, you know, sort of treat that Megillah and that story and Ruth and Boaz with a particular type of respect. I would say that not only is it not that they were oblivious to it, right? Not that they're, you know, ignoring it, but they are highlighting the, you know, the risque element by, by deflecting it, right? Like, we know this is here. We know that this is what the story reads as. And don't you, the now reader, don't you get distracted by it because it's so easy to get distracted by it and think that it's just a, like a risque story when really we're talking about, you know, the people who are the progenitors of Malchut and, and so on, right? Like, I, I think that we need to give Chazal credit here for, un, you know, in providing an, you know, in deflecting attention from the shot of the text, it also calls attention to the fact that they very much were aware of the shot of the text. Yes, 100%. Um, and then one quick last thing is, uh, there's another piece here on this stop, which is just, I just wanted to point out, which is about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, and it's pretty, almost at the bottom of Amud Bet, where it talks about the Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's uh, horse keeper, his uh, Ahriya Yare, was richer than even the king of Persia. Um, and this is one of the many references to that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was actually very wealthy. So I just wanted to point that out. It's an important piece of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's bi uh, biography and who he was. We'll see it come up in multiple places. Um, and this is one of the, you know, proofs that's in the text uh, for that, that he was so wealthy that even his horse keeper was wealthier uh, than the king of Persia. Now, I think it is a little bit of exaggerated language, but it's really there just to emphasize what type of wealth he had. And that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come join us in our WhatsApp group. Come join us on our Facebook page and talk to us there. And thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm -hmm.